yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Praise you, Almighty God. We thank you for the cross. That bought, the blood that bought our freedom. We thank you for it. We glorify you for it. Would somebody say amen this morning? Would somebody say thank you, Jesus? Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for not holding our past against us. Where would we have been without the cross? Lord, we thank you for your gracious, gracious dealings with us, Father. You don't give us what we deserve. You give us what we don't deserve. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We glorify your name. Worship your almighty name, God. So powerful, so worthy. Thank you, almighty God. believe it this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you would, please. Amen. And there was one person on that worship team that was really good this morning. (laughs) Really good. (laughs) And it was Marcus. You know, it's so humbling to uh, see your kid up there on the worship team. Man, are you all excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Excited to have you all here. Welcome to those of you that are watching online. We're eagerly, eagerly waiting your return to the house of the Lord. Your family misses you. So hurry up and get here as soon as you can. I know that for some of you all, I hadn't seen you for quite a long time, and you're here this morning in the house of the Lord, and it's great to see you. Uh, great to be together worshiping the Lord. Um, I want to, I want to, I'm not getting into my sermon yet, but just do a little bit of, an, of announcements. And, and here's the announcement I want to make. I want to apologize for whosever idea it was to have three services. Um, I don't know who that guy was. Uh, we took him out back. We beat the pulp out of him, and he said he'll never do it again. Um, you know, uh, I, I got to be frank with you guys, man. That three services was a bear, man. It was killing me. That, preaching that third service, I wasn't even there. It was, it was so hard. And and so through the through this season of what we've been going through, I just I really just felt convicted about that, and 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 really what I thought that was going to do for the church versus what it did to the church. And, and I, I'm just, we're never going to three services ever again. Like Amen. ever, Amen. like we're just never all the, all the people, all the people that had to serve for those three services. <laughs> it was kind of a trick. I'm like, we'll do three services for two years. And then they'll really, Oh, we only have to serve two services. This is great. This is great. Um, now that comes at a cost and, and the cost that it comes at is that, uh, you know, when we were doing three services, everything went so fast. Um, cause you got to get, you know, get the service done in 70 minutes and there was only four songs and it was like chop, 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 chop. And frankly, I just didn't like it. Um, and, and if I was being completely honest, that's what, that's what people do. Right? And you talk to other pastors from different states and they're like, oh, just have another service. And you just dial it in. You make it whatever. And I was like, okay. And then you do it. You're like, what? No, this is horrible. Um, I kind of like a little bit of a longer service. Um, I, like, I like worshiping with five songs. I feel like four is just like three, you're just warming up. And then four, you're in it. And then five, it finally cuts loose. Um, I don't like feeling rushed when it comes to preaching. Um, because sometimes the Lord has a lot to say, and I, I, I try to keep between 35 and 45 minutes. But if the worship goes long, I don't want to feel like we're going to shortchange the word. And so I need you guys, first off, to just kind of readjust that we're not doing 70-minute services anymore. I don't want to do longer than like 20 or 25 minutes after. Sometimes it goes, it might go 30 minutes after, and you just have to kind of settle in. Because you're like, man, I thought they're only doing 70 minutes. Now, again, that comes at a cost because... 
What that means is, is that some people will choose to not attend this church because the services are too long. Uh, and, and some people eventually, once everything keeps going, uh, people are going to not attend this church because it's too crowded. And, and so, bye. Um, if that's, if that's the stopgap for you to go to a church that preaches the word and honors God is whether, you know, you're physically comfortable. I mean, have we not learned that the value of just being together is more than more important than anything? Like what, why does it matter how long it is and, and how crowded it is? People have been the church is so hot, like great, you know, can't please everybody. And so it's going to be a, it's going to be a crowded existence in the upcoming years. And so, you know, dress lightly and, uh, make some friends, you know, uh, I, I, I do have plans. I, I was going to uh, revamp the AC, but, um, all that house stuff happened. And so hopefully we'll do it by the spring, but we're going to, we're going to get some new AC. It's going to be a little bit colder. It'll be fine. But I just want you guys to settle in and know that that's just how it's going to be. Um, Cause I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm never doing three services again. We're just not doing it. Okay. There I said it. All right. Let's pray for this message. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us and to convict us. Father, we thank you that uh, we get this opportunity to come together and hear from your word. And Father, we pray that you speak mightily in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're continuing through uh, Matthew chapter 2. For those of you that are just joining us, this is what we do. We uh, just go through the Bible and we're in Matthew right now. And so this is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 2, starting verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And when he had, excuse me, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. What's going on in this story? Uh, I'll sit down in the front row and preach. (laughs) They just texted, gosh, I'm so controlled by these people. So what they said, find me with the camera now. Um, I cannot be confined by a mere camera. So uh, what's going on in this scripture? Uh, This is the continuation of the Christmas story. We did Christmas last week. That was fun, wasn't it? That was a lot of fun. Uh, And so many of you know this story. The wise men, they come, they're bringing gifts to Jesus. And so this is the story. And these guys are coming, they bring gifts. They want to find the Christ child. And so the king of the time, his name's Herod the Great. Herod's there and he hears about the star and he hears about the wise men. He hears about the prophecies. He gathered some scribes and some Pharisees and says, what's going on? And they're quoting scripture to him. And so then Herod says, hey, I want to worship this guy too. Go and find him so I could worship him. And then the angel Lord comes to the wise men and says, hey, this isn't good. You guys need to get out of here. Um, the, the title of the, the message this morning is word to the wise. That's what we're titling this this morning. And the word to the wise, we will get into it in just a moment. But this, this story is all about kingship. It's about kingdom and kingship. And as we're walking through Matthew over the next period of time, whether it be for a year or two, 
you're going to hear talking a lot about kingship, rulership, kingdom, because those are themes all throughout Matthew. Again, Matthew's trying to speak to a Jewish audience, and the Jewish audience is trying to understand uh, uh, if Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is king. And so he's trying to explain to them that Jesus is king, Jesus is the savior, Jesus is bringing his kingdom to be able to rule and reign over their lives. How many of you watched the debates uh, that just happened? Show of hands, how many of you watched the debates? Man, that was a dumpster fire, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh my gosh. It was so cringeworthy. I, I, I had a hard time finishing it, but I, I did simply because it was, it was good political theater like I've never seen before. For years, uh, being a Christian, people in churches, uh, churches have always used the president as an example to say, if you interacted with a king and if there was a king, how, how would you deal with this king? And they'd always talk about if you met the president and everything else, can we just agree now moving forward that any president is not worthy of our adoration and praise? Has has that not been proven a point at this point now? And, and, and if, and if our current president has shown us anything, it's that, and, and past presidents too, is that any president that has absolute power is not a good thing. It's just not. And it didn't start with Trump. Obama did it and Bush did it and Clinton did it. And the, the, the power of the executive has just gotten far too big. And, and we're now living under this. One of the reasons why George Washington is one of my favorite, not, excuse me, not one of them. George Washington is my favorite president is because George Washington had the opportunity to become king of America. And he said, America has never intended to be a king. Uh, so I'm going to give the power to the people. And so they had the three branches of government that the executive was just supposed to be equal with Congress and the legislature. But it hasn't turned into that. It's turned into something much different than that. This is why people now in their hearts, they really believe that they're electing a king. That's why it's so important to them. That's why if you don't agree with their politician, they hate you. That's, that's why if you don't vote their way, they hate you because they don't um, submit to the rulership of Jesus in their life as their king. And so they want this king that they will submit to that will rule them because they believe that this king is going to be the ultimate ruler over their lives. This, this is why politics are, are, are so the way that they are. The, the point of that whole entire tirade that I just said, and the point of this story is that Jesus is the only king that you should worship. Jesus is the only king that you should submit to. Should we care about politics to a point? Yeah. Pray for our elections, right? Vote what the Bible says about, uh, about uh, people's platforms. But, but don't lose the point here is that who rules us needs to be Jesus, not some earthly king at all. And I do. I care about politics. I, I read the news every single day and I, I, I'm very well versed in what's going on. I, it's funny. People say, how can you not talk about, about it in the pulpit? Because that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to get you to submit to Jesus in your life. If you fully submit to Jesus in your life, your voting will change. It truly will. Jesus is worthy of all of our love, adoration, and respect. And the word to the wise is Jesus is king. The word to the wise is follow Jesus in every area of your life. Here's the first part of this scripture is that wise people still seek Jesus. Now these scriptures are not clear on who these guys were and where they came from. But this is what we know for sure. They were wise and they were from the east. That's what we know for sure. They were wise and they were from the East. Uh, uh, people will go and, and, and change it into something else, but uh, th- that's all that we can get from these scriptures. But here's what we can figure out is that these guys were wise enough to figure out that Messiah had come. It doesn't even say that they were Jewish people. It doesn't say that they were Gentile people. Uh, history can get us to guess that probably at best they were some sort of pagans or uh, Gentile astrologer types, astrologers in the sense that they were watching signs and watching stars. And, and from what they saw, they figured, okay, there's a big thing going on. There's a King that's arriving. We need to go and see what's going on. We've got to go and seek out the answer. We've got to go and figure out what's going on. So they changed their geography and went to where they figured they could find this King that they uh, thought was happening at the time. They were wise enough to come and seek after Jesus. And they wanted to know, where is he? Where is this one? We have seen him. That's what he's saying, verse one. Where's he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Where is he? 
See, in my mind, I always picture these stories as a kid, right? With the nativity scene and there's the, the manger and you've got, the, it's always three, but they say, I don't know if it was three and there's three guys and they're carrying their stuff and you just kind of picture it that way, right? And in my mind, I always pictured the, the, the nativity scene because it's always depicted as like out in the middle of nowhere, next, next to nothing and in the sand. Like you guys see this, right? And so when I went to the Holy Land, that's what I expected to see when I got there. I went there when I was in high school and I was like, man, I want to go see the place where Jesus was born. And I, and I always envisioned it like you, you, you go down a dusty road and there's an old man with a stick and he's just kind of standing there. And you're like, I heard that Jesus was born here. Like if you crawl up this road and you'll find it. No, there's a bunch of Italians and tour buses at Catholic churches. And there's guys selling falafel and t-shirts. I mean, that's. That's what it's like in modern day, uh, modern day Israel. Why, why do I, why do I share that story? We, we, we think of the men going to find Jesus and think that he was easy to be found. Like they just like walked across the desert mangers right there. But the area of, of, of Jerusalem and Bethlehem, these were metropolises. These were cities. People lived there and there was business that went on and houses and temples and all these other things. So when they went to go find Jesus, they didn't just walk in and he was there right in the middle. They, they probably more than likely had to walk around and talk to people and say, Hey, we've heard something. And Hey, we, we saw something. Do you guys know where we could find him? It wasn't an easy task to just walk in and here's Jesus sitting in a manger. Um, and the, the lights were on him. It's just not that way at all. They had to be diligent to find and worship the King. There's a sermon in there somewhere. You know, Crystal and I go on vacation. I tell you guys this all the time. Go, on, go to church every Sunday, even when you're on vacation. Because everywhere you go, there's a church that would love to meet you. Everywhere you go, you go camping, there's some Baptist church right down the road that would love to have you come in and just worship with them, even in your, even in your camping clothes. They just want to meet you. But if you're going somewhere, sometimes you got to be diligent. Crystal and I, before I go uh, on vacation, sometimes I'll spend hours before I get to that city online, listening to sermons, looking at beliefs, because I don't want to waste a Sunday and come into some church. I'm diligent about it. I seek after it. I don't just merely give up on it. Why? Because I believe it's important to be diligent in seeking after God. Here's a truth. You will always find God when you're looking for him. You will always find God when you are looking for him. Acts 17, 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God is not far from you. He's not hiding from you, but you've got to put in a little bit of effort to be able to seek after him. Uh, the, the Bible is very clear on this. It says in Jeremiah 29, 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. If you're diligent in surf, searching after Jesus with all of your heart, you will always find him. And it's interesting, the people that search after God, find him. And those that don't, won't. They won't find him. Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. The problem is, is that many people are not willing to go look for God. They figure that if God wanted to find them, he'd come looking for them. Well, isn't he all powerful? If God wanted to say something to me, he'd find me. He did find you through Jesus. He was nice enough to write down everything he wanted you to know. These wise men, wise men traveled from afar and they asked the question, where is he? We're seeking him out. But we think that somehow we're special enough that the Savior is going to come looking for us. We need to seek after God. And I get it, man. We're, we're a church and churches become the center of where people come looking for God. There's times when people come to the church for a, a host of reasons. And, and as believers, if we're consistent attenders, we need to be aware. A lot of times people come to church because they lost their job. Because there's been a change in a relationship, a divorce, or going through something. Maybe they've had a sickness or a death. Sometimes people come to church because they're new to the area. And that's great. Like whatever God's got to use to get people to come to church, that's fantastic. But when people don't come to church, why, why is that? I'll tell you why. Usually it's because they're in love with their sin. It's because even unbelievers know what happens at church. You get right with God and they know what, 
what, what it looks like. And so they don't want to come to church because they don't, they don't want to have to live righteously. They don't want to give up their sin. And so when you invite them or they come and they feel as though they, they're going to have to change their lives, they don't come back because people love their sin and they love their money and they love their time and they feel as though they don't need God and they're self-righteous and they're self-reliant. And they, they don't want to be bothered and they don't want the responsibility of having to serve God because it is a responsibility to serve God. It comes with a lot of responsibility when you know the truth. But what they know is that Jesus is true and they know that he is true They knew if they wanted to find God, they could find him. They could come to any church or pick up any Bible or talk to somebody that they know that knows the Lord. But people don't want to do that. They want to live for themselves. They don't want to live for Jesus because they know know that Jesus is real. It's why why Herod was troubled because even Herod, Herod knew that this Jesus was special. He was something to be regarded. It wasn't just, just a, an afterthought. The, the leader of that area said, you know what? This Jesus thing is a big, big deal. What does it mean to you? If Jesus is king and he is Messiah and he is the king of the Jews, if wise men searched after him, you should search after him also. He's worthy to be sought after. He's so worthy to be sought after. If you feel as though you're far from God and you feel as though uh, he doesn't speak to you and you don't know him, you've took one step today. You're listening to this message. You're here this morning. Praise God. I'm excited for you. But it's more than just a Sunday morning. It's more than just coming to church or listening to a sermon online. There's no relationship that can, that, that can flourish when it's, when it's a, a very small interaction. If you feel as though you're far from God, seek after God. Spend time in his word. Spend time worshiping him. Get rid of the things in your life that are a distraction. Be totally and completely consumed with the things of God. Deuteronomy 4.29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. The truth is that people don't want to search for God with all of their heart and all of their soul. They want excuses. It's funny, as, as all of the worldly excuses were taken away and, and we're getting uh, mo- more opportunity to be able to come to church, there's just new excuses. Because people want to use excuses to say, that's why I don't want to seek after God. They want the easy Jesus with the easy path. They want to check the box. They don't want the responsibility. See, I, I believe that God wants you in a local assembly on a regular basis, fellowshipping with his people and collectively worshiping. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. The Bible never, never intended us to do Christianity alone. And I was saying that before COVID. I'm like a broken record. I only preach about four sermons. I just wrap them up different ways. It's not that funny, Kevin. Have you ever lost something in your house and had to look for it? <laughs> the older I get, it seems to happen more often. And, 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 and the worst isn't when you lose something that you need because, you know, that happens. What bothers me the most is when you think about something that you don't need that you're trying to find and then you can't rest until you find that thing. Has anybody else done that before? Like, where is that thing? I don't need it and I don't want it, but I want to know where it is. And then you go around where you live and you, what do you do this too? You go back to the same place 10 times thinking it's going to magically appear there again. Why do we do that? Keep pulling out the drawer and you're taking, you already checked it four times. I'm going to check the pockets again. I'm going to go look in the car again. Does anybody else do that? Why do we do that? Because we want to find what we're looking for. If you're, if you're late for work, you will do whatever you need to do to find those car keys. You will start throwing things around. You'll be dumping things out. I've got to find my keys. I'm going to lose my job. Comes to the savior of the universe. I'm like, you should seek after God. And you're like, maybe next week. It's a little much, man. Jeremiah 33, three, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things, which you do not know. Call to me and I will answer you. That's what the word says. Isaiah 65, 24, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear God comes right away. When you start calling out to him, 
All he wants is for you to reach out to him and to, to speak out to him and say, Lord, I want you and I need you and I need to be in relationship with you. And he rushes in and hears you right away. Psalm 91, 15, and he shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Friend, these are the true promises of scripture. The God of this universe wants relationship with you, but you must seek him. It's not just going to come by accident. Diligently seeking after the Lord in every area of your life. Second part of it is that wise people do not reject Jesus. If you are rejecting Jesus, either if you're here this morning by, you know, coercion or you're watching. Wise people don't reject Jesus. In this story, there, there's a, a few different players. Remember, you got the wise men coming from the east. You got the Pharisees and the scribes. You've got Jesus, of course. Um, Mary and Joseph are tucked in the story, even though they're not talked about. Um, but one of the big players in this story is a guy named uh, Herod. Uh, Herod was the leader uh, of Judea at this time. And what's interesting, everything I'm going to tell you about Herod is what I've learned from secular history books, not, not because of the Bible, because secular history still talks about Bible history. This isn't a book of fables. People say, oh, the Bible's a bunch of book of fables. No, it is not. It's a history book and history coincides with uh, what goes on in the Bible. So we know based on antiquity and uh, archaeological evidence and records, the, the Greeks and the Romans were very good record keepers. And, and so there's a, a Herod. Herod is not his name. Herod's a title because you have Herod the Great uh, during this time. And then there'll be Herod Antipas that's going to be during Jesus's uh, death, burial, and res- resurrection. They're two completely different Herods. And so Herod was the, the Herald, Herod, Herald, Herod the Great. Herald is a name. Herod is not a name. Uh, Herod the Great was the ruler of Judea during the time of Jesus's arrival. And during his life, he accomplished a lot of things. He would build temples for pagans. Uh, he built uh, other mun- municipal buildings, you know, roads and all that other kind of stuff. But he was crazy and did some crazy stuff. He was married, uh, but he divorced his wife because it was, uh, he could get more political influence by marrying this other woman. And so he married this other woman after he divorced that wife. And then he eventually went back and killed her and killed their children. Um, and, and, and so even when he like rebuilt the tent, when he built the temple for the Jews, it wasn't because he was loving. He just wanted to control the Jews. You guys ever heard of Caligula? Uh, Caligula wanted a statue of himself inside of the temple that Herod had built because he wanted the Jews to worship him. Um, and, and so you think about this, we haven't got to this part of the story and you see about like Herod, how he goes and he eventually is going to want to kill Jesus and kill all the firstborn. People think, oh, that, that seems so far fetched. Well, this is a guy that killed his ex-wife and killed his own children because he didn't want to lose political power. And so then you take that into the story and you see like, he hears like, Ooh, King of the Jews, they called Herod the King of the Jews. And so then they start calling Jesus, the King of the Jews. Herod doesn't want to lose power. So what does he do? He's quickly got to ascertain what's going on because he does not want to lose his power. This is political, man. Wouldn't it be weird to live in a time where you had a political figure that would do whatever they needed to do to maintain power? Gosh, that would be weird. And they would like tell you that they would give you something or tell you they were going to do something when they really had no intentions of doing it. They just wanted to get you to keep them in office. Wouldn't that be weird if we lived in a time as that? So weird. Maybe one day, maybe. He had friendships based on political expediency to hold on to his power. He wasn't a righteous ruler. He was a self-serving ruler that wanted power. And this is the guy that hears about Jesus being born. When Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. Remember common themes throughout the book of Matthew, Old Testament prophecy fulfilled a New Testament arrival. We're going to see a lot of that kingship, kingdom, submission, all those themes come throughout the book of Matthew. But here's what you can notice about these uh, scriptures uh, or this portion of scripture is that Herod was troubled when he found out about Jesus. Why was he troubled? Because he was worried about his power. 
He was worried about how it was going to affect him. He, he trusted uh, the known prophecy, though. He gathered people to him and said, hey, uh, I hear some stuff that's going on. It says he gathered the priest because he wanted to know, like, is this the real deal? Is this what's going on? Isn't it interesting that a secular man that's not a Jewish believer still looks to the Jewish believer to, to understand their prophecies to see if what's going on is true? And then he lies in this portion. He goes on and he says, oh, go, go and search carefully for this young child. And when you have found him, bring him back word because I want to come and I want to worship him too. That's a lie. He has no intentions of worshiping Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus because he wants to keep his power. Wise men don't reject Jesus. Herod was not wise at all. He was not wise. He was a strong, unrighteous leader, but he appears to have a measure of intellect But in the end, he rejects Jesus as the king of the Jews. Uh, Herod Antipas comes up later in Matthew. But interesting little side note, this is normal in the sense that like people who don't know the Lord, oftentimes they will go to people that do because they're trying to understand what's going on. As a Christian, I've seen many times people come to me and even over this year, they've said like, is this the end? Is this what's going on? Is this, the, is this the beginning of the end? Because they know I know God. They know that I know the Bible. They don't know God. They don't know the Bible. And they want some sort of assurance. How much time do I have to continue to party before I have to come to God? Yeah. Repent today. You could come back before the end of this message. Here, here's what's interesting, though, is that I see people that aren't Christians seem to be more convicted and uh, respectful of the things of God than there is people that claim to be Christians. Wow. Go figure. That's a different message. What does it mean to you? Conviction is of God. It really is. See, in this story, Herod, I believe, was convicted. When it says that he was troubled, I believe that he was convicted because he knew that he was doing wrong and that a true righteous king was going to come and rule. He didn't want to use the, lose the rulership in his own life. And that's really the story of us is that we want to be our own kings. We want to be our own rulers. Jesus comes into the scene and wants to rule us and it troubles us. It gives us a sense of conviction uh, because we don't want to give up our self-serving ways. We don't want to give up our own lives. And so we, we just have to decide and say, how am I going to respond to this conviction? And I will tell you, if you're here this morning, you're listening online or at any other time that you feel convicted by the word, good. I'm glad that you feel convicted. That means God loves you. That means there's still opportunity for growth. Did you know that conviction was part of the reason why Jesus came to this earth? You know, John 3.16 always ends up in an end zone. And John 3.16 isn't even in my top 10 of favorite scriptures. Yeah, I know. It's true. You can have favorite scriptures. There's nothing wrong. I like John 3.19. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is red letters. This is Jesus talking. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does, the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Jesus wants you to feel convicted of your unrighteousness because he wants you to live a righteous life in him. And so as Jesus came to the life of Herod to convict him of his unrighteous living, his unrighteous rulership, Jesus in the same way wants to convict us of who's ruling our lives and who's leading our lives so that we could submit to him and he could be ruler over our lives. And if we want to be wise, we don't reject that. We don't reject it. We don't say, I I don't want you to rule me. I'm going to try to kill you. I'm going to try to do everything that I can to destroy you because I don't want to be ruled by you. Even Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, that conviction is good if it leads you to repentance. It's good. There's nothing wrong with feeling conviction and being led to repentance. What's wrong is to reject Jesus when he's coming into your life. That's wrong. Herod was troubled, he didn't, but he didn't let his troubledness bring him to his knees and repent. You have that chance. If you're here today or you're watching online or you're listening to this recording, you can turn to God. You can feel conviction, confess, and be forgiven. You have to understand conviction and condemnation are two totally different things. What happens is, is that a word will go forth and I'll speak something and you will think to yourself because of your defensive nature of holding on to your, to your self-righteous rule. You will think that through the word you're, you're being condemned or that I'm trying to condemn you. I'm not, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just trying to be obedient to what God's asked me to do. Conviction leads to repentance. Conviction is a very short path. 
You feel as though you're, you're away from God, turn away from your sins, turn towards Jesus, conviction leaves because you're in a right relationship with God. You, you've uh, performed a sin, there's a sin in your life, you feel convicted because you're continuing in the sin. God's like, repent, turn away from it, and that's conviction. You know what you need to do. You turn away from it, you go get forgiveness, conviction leaves. There's no longer any conviction. Condemnation is, I've turned and repented from my sin, but the devil keeps telling me I'm not worthy or I'm not forgiven or I'm my past. That's condemnation. Condemnation and conviction are two totally different things. If there's condemnation, throw it out. Say, I I don't believe that spirit in Jesus' name. But if it's conviction and there's something that needs to change, change what needs to change, come back to Jesus and experience the freedom that Christ provides. Amen? Amen? Totally and completely different. It's why we read the Bible and listen to preaching and pray. We want conviction because conviction brings righteousness through the forgiveness of sins. I've, made, I've seen many people that reject it, but, but for me, I want to have a growing righteous relationship with Jesus. I really do. I, I, I don't want to have uh, just an okay relationship with Jesus. I want it to be robust. I, w- I want anything that's inside of me that's not of God to come to the surface and come out. And, and even now, as I've been serving him for 30 years, it seems like every week there's something else that I need to work on. You know, I, I've told you guys these stories many times that um, I was in the military. And, and one of the things you do in the military is that you clean a lot. Oh my gosh. You buff floors and clean bathrooms and, and they shove you in some old 50 year old barracks and they get you to clean. Right. And there was times where in the military where they'll shove you in there for eight hours and you're literally, uh, uh, this is a true story. When I was in basic training, the, the first, uh, we were at reception and in reception, we were inside of an auditorium, probably like three times the size of this room. And there was hundreds of us troops there. And they walked in like, you guys need to clean this place up. We're coming back in a couple hours. And they left and we didn't have any cleaning supplies. And so we're literally like on the floor, pushing together all of the stuff that's on the floor, fingernails and boogers and <laughs> grit. And they're just like pushing it together and then like picking it up. And I mean, on our hands and knees, literally for hours. This is a true story, man. It's so humbling to be in that situation. Just <laughs> some of you guys that are in the military are like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And what's really funny is that like you'll go and you have to uh, do barracks maintenance and they'll shove you in there on Sundays for hours to do barracks maintenance. And then you'll have an inspection and some first sergeant will come in and, and, and they always do the same thing. They always just like walk around, they're looking around and they just go like this. What is this? <laughs> Guys are living like pigs. My ba- is this how you live at home? Like a bunch of pigs? Clean these things. They start flipping bunks and tossing stuff over. Clean it up. Well, the, the, the trick to the military is they put you in these old buildings. <laughs> You're never going to get them clean, man, ever. Like you think you get them clean and they like lift up a ceiling tile. Like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? You didn't even know that it existed. There's places in a washing machine where they hide dirt that you don't even know exists. They literally like, in the, they'll take apart the washing machine. What is this? <laughs> you guys want to live like pigs in my barracks? <laughs> Military guys, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So true. Why'd I tell you that? See, here's the thing about funny stories. Do you guys know why I tell you funny stories? It's not to make you laugh. It's because the money, it's because if, if we stay in the scripture for so long and I'm just tearing you apart with the word, you shut me out because your spirit can't handle it because you want to stick on to your own righteousness. So what you do is you tell a funny story. He goes, <laughs> that's really fun. So I love those military stories. The story is about how you're never going to have your, your life perfect until Jesus comes back. That's the point of the story. And it's, and it's not because we're, I mean, we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We've been cleansed from all unrighteousness, but we can't get to a place where we feel like there's nothing else in my life that I need to work on at all. But don't get to that place because I've been serving God for 30 years. And again, I didn't lose my salvation. I'm not concerned with my salvation, but something happens in my life. God brings it up in my life. I'm like, Hey, here's an area that you need to work on. And, and I'm glad you had this situation this week to teach something to you. But I can't reject it. I have to embrace it. Amen. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. You guys picking up what I'm dropping? Here, here's, here's the third part of it. 
is that wise men worship Jesus. Wise men seek after him. Wise men don't reject him. And wise men seek after him. That the wise men had come to worship Jesus. And then they actually come to worship Jesus. You notice that? They came to worship Jesus. And then they worship Jesus. They didn't just merely come to where Jesus was. And say they were going to worship him. They came to worship him. And then they ended up worshiping him. Verse 2, we have come to worship him. Verse 11, they fell down and they worshiped. And, and I want you to notice this part of the story is that these foreign men had traveled directly by a star to come and worship a king that was not their king. These guys were not Jewish people that realized that Jesus was king. These are some foreign astrological dudes that were like, let's go worship this guy whom we do not know. Even they were convicted enough to come and worship the king. There's a sermon in there somewhere. These were people that more than likely were best at best Gentiles, pagan based on their astrological leanings. But nonetheless, they saw the signs and they came to worship the King of Kings. Psalm 95, six says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Why is it that the ancients understood worship, but modern day people don't? Why? I'll tell you why. Because they, they had an air of respect back then. That people actually wanted to worship God. They didn't want to worship them. Well, they probably still wanted to worship themselves. But, but they lived at, we don't live in a respectful society. People don't want to respect people anymore. They, they just respect themselves. They don't respect anybody else. But nonetheless, they came and they saw the signs and they came to worship the King of Kings. Isaiah 12, 5 says, sing to the Lord for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Why, why did they worship him? Because it was due him and they were wise enough to realize that he was worthy of it. So they did it. They did it. They realized that they should do it. And so they did it. And what does it, what does it mean to us? It shouldn't take that much to worship Jesus. Yeah. It really doesn't. Think about this. These guys worship Jesus for who he was, not because they needed something from him. They, they actually brought gifts to him when he had never done anything for them except being born. They, they noticed his rulership. They, they noticed his authority. They noticed his power. And so, and so they, they went to worship him. Jesus hadn't even died on the cross yet and hadn't forgiven them of their sins yet. Yet they still came and worshiped him for who, who he was going to be, not for anything else. We, we live in a time where Jesus has already forgiven us of our sins and a time where Jesus has already set us free from the law of sin and death. And, and for some people, that's still not enough to worship him. We worship him because he's taken away our sin, but for them, it hadn't even happened yet. They just bowed and worshiped him because they saw who he was. And then you've got to lock this into your, into your brain, friend. We, we as people of faith have always been worshipers. That's who we are from, from, the, from the beginning of time to the end of time. We're worshipers. It, it starts from Genesis and it goes all the way in through Revelation. And this is a part of who we are as Christian people. And so you've got to embrace this. This is why I'm always interested when people that claim to be Christians, they always say, well, I don't really like the singing part. I like the part when you talk trying to think somehow that's going to make me feel better about myself. I, I don't care that you want to listen to me talk. I care that you're growing in your relationship with Jesus. I'm irrelevant. I'm not even part of the equation. And, and, and you'll notice throughout this church and a lot of churches, what happens is that there, there's these people, I call them the parking lot people. The parking lot people that they always find some really big spiritual reason to talk to somebody out in the parking lot, right in the middle of the time that God needs to be worshiped. Because they don't want to bow the knee. And, and I've seen it for years where people, well, it's funny, a, a lot of those people end up falling away from God and they don't understand why it's because you never bowed the knee to Jesus because you didn't want to sit in service and have to actually worship God. You wanted to hold on to yourself. Well, I'm going to come in and I'm going to make the pastor feel good by sitting in a sermon that I'm not going to apply to my life anyway, but I'll try to do that because I want to maintain some friendships, even though I have no, uh, no desire to truly submit to God. It's here for friendship. I, I don't, I don't get it, man. You know, ever since I've served God, I always couldn't, I always couldn't wait to worship him. I just couldn't wait. When I was in the military and I was deployed, like I would come back from a deployment. I was like, man, we have got to go to church. We've got to go to church. I just want to worship. I remember one time we were in, we were in Texas and we were staying with Crystal's parents. We we're going to church and I know we were late to church. <laughs> it happens. 
Um, none, none of you have ever been late, but we were. <laughs> we were late because my son, he was only like less than two at the time. And uh, so we showed up late to church and we're checking into children's church. And I hear the worship music. And I remember just that day, how, how I felt. And I was just like, I, I remember saying to Crystal, come on, hurry up. I want to worship. I want to get in there. I can't help but, but just want to be in his presence. There's nothing greater than wanting to worship God. And it, it should be something that we focus on and something that we arrange our lives around. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 13, 15, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name and friend worship just isn't on Sundays. It's great. I mean, praise God. It's great to be together in the assembly worshiping God, isn't it? Oh man, it's the best. I love it, but it's, it's not enough. We need to worship him all day, every day everywhere. That's, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. That's why I think that you should listen to worship music when you're driving and when you're going around, listen to music that glorifies God, sing songs to him as you go along during your day. I, I, I love on Sundays. A lot of times the, the, the songs from Sundays will carry me into the next couple of days and I'll literally sing them out loud because I want to sing praise to the Lord. And I, and again, I believe that God has called us to collectively worship together in the assembly. It's biblical to do so for us to gather together and audibly sing his praise. And I, I would be very curious to find anybody to say that if it feels same worshiping by yourself, than it does to worship together in the collective assembly. It doesn't man. The spirit is totally and completely different when you are in this room with a bunch of people that are worshiping God. Uh, before we get out of here, let me give you a, a quick little class. How, how do you make priority of worship on Sunday? Um, and, and this might be a little bit of conviction, not condemnation uh, for some people. Uh, go to bed on time Saturday night. I know it seems weird. Churches at the same time every Sunday. Uh, and, and, and for some reason, people, that, you know, it's funny. People, <laughs> all the 11 o'clock people still were late when we had the 1130 service. <laughs> That's when I realized that the service time was not the problem. Doesn't, again, if the shoe fits, it's for you. Um, get to church early. I know it's so weird. I, I know. Um, and I get it, man. It, we all have times when things come up and sometimes there are emergencies, but sometimes there's, there's certain people that are chronically late to everything. And there's some people that chronically, for whatever reason, about, about, you know, halfway through the sermon, they just want to go out to the back and stretch and get a drink of water. Don't, don't fill up on liquid on your way to church. You know what I mean? And I, again, people have emergencies. Some people that I know that have, you know, bladders the size of a cocktail onion. Um, but, uh, you know, do, do, do what you need to do, man. Minimize distractions for you and others. Get focused, get your mind right. If you say, well, pastor, I got kids. There's a lot of people that brought their kids into worship today and they're doing, the kids are doing a really good job. Yeah, they're doing a great job. Yeah, it's funny when you discipline your kids at home, then they stay disciplined in church. If you don't discipline them at home, then you magically, they don't stay disciplined at church and there's nothing that a little flick to the forehead won't settle down. Dude, when I was a kid, going to the Lutheran church, man, on those hard pews, I don't remember anything. All I remember is being flicked for talking and playing in church. If you were really lucky, there was some old lady down the aisle that had a nasty piece of candy that she'd give you from the bottom of your purse. If you were lucky, you just sat there just waiting for this thing to be over. At least I'm somewhat entertaining. Yeah. All that to say, man, minimize the distractions. Show them what it looks like to worship Jesus. Children's ministry is a gift, but, but they didn't have it in Bible times. It's just a gift. A little side note, we are looking for more volunteers for the children's ministry. It's never going to go away. One of these Sundays, uh, uh, I'll be downstairs preaching, and you, uh, and you guys be like, why is he preaching downstairs? I'm like, hey, we needed help in the children's ministry. I, I volunteer in children's ministry. I work there on Wednesday nights. So I just want to encourage you, man. Pastor Amber, raise your hand. Raise your hand, Pastor Amber. Higher, higher. You know, doesn't Pastor Amber do a great job? Great job. 
I wish you guys could see the tears that well up in her eyes when she talks about how much she loves those kids, man. She loves those kids. She wants them to worship Jesus with every ounce of her being. She needs help. So please help. Anyway, back to the sermon about you not worshiping God. (laughs) He's worthy of your worship, man. Here's a couple more scriptures, then we'll get out of here. Psalm 50, 14, offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the most high. First Peter 2, 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wise people seek after Jesus. Wise people don't reject Jesus and wise people worship Jesus. Amen. 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 Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Hey, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been far away from him and you say, man, I know, I know I'm not a Christian this morning. I've been living for myself. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be set free. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, and you'd like to do that for the first time. I'd like you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the first time? Hand held high. Maybe you uh, know the truth, but you've been far from God. And I always like to say, it's not like you just had a bad couple weeks. You've been far. You you know, you're like, man, I am so far from God. It's been a long time. And I'm not talking about some superstitious, like, hey, I want God to validate my lifestyle and go back to it. I'm not saying that. You want to turn away from your sin. You want to come back to Jesus. You're like, I'm done living that life. I'm ready to live for Jesus. If you need to make that decision today, I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to come back to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that? Father, we pray today that we would be wise. Father, that we would seek after you in every area of our lives. God, that we would not seek after anything except you. Father, we don't reject you today. We embrace you. We embrace Jesus into our lives. Take us off the throne. Put Jesus on the throne of our lives. And God, let us be a people that worship you. We worship you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Amen. Why don't you stand up? Remember, baptisms right after service. So stick around, support those people. We're making that declaration.